You are a people leader or an HR professional working hard to create an amazing employee experience for your team and your organization. But between the operational tasks of your job, managing emotions and politics, both up and down the corporate ladder, and trying to find some semblance of work-life integration in your own life, I suspect you are also overwhelmed and burnt out. If even the thought of navigating the complicated world of mental health at work probably seems like too much to handle, let this podcast be your not-so-secret weapon to help fix that. I am your host, Lindsay Recknell, and my mission is to help great leaders like you feel less awkward and more confident talking about mental health at work so you can stress less, take more action, and continue to make a valuable difference in your job as a leader, positively impacting the lives of your people. I'll be bringing you the experts, insights, and actions that will give you the skills you need to navigate mental health in the workplace and foster a workplace where everyone's mental health can thrive. Hello, welcome to another episode of Mental Health for Leaders, where I had the opportunity to interview two positive psychologists working together on some new research. You know how much I love science, so this is definitely a conversation I was here for. First, Tamara Miles helps leaders make work meaningful to engage employees and improve business performance. Her approach blends the latest research in positive and organizational psychology with evidence-based strategies to deliver solutions that yield tangible business results. She focuses on organizational transformation and leadership development and has worked with high-performing organizations like BlackRock, Microsoft, KPMG, Unilever, and Best Buy. Tamara is the author of The Secret to Peak Productivity, A Simple Guide to Reaching Your Personal Best, which is published globally and has been translated to multiple languages. Her work has been featured in Business Insider, Forbes, and USA Today, among others. Tamara lives in New England with her husband, three teenage children, and two dogs. She loves to cook and is in awe of the power of food to bring people together for deep, meaningful connection. I have to apologize to Tamara. You'll recognize in the beginning of my interview with she and her research partner, I pronounced her name incorrectly. So my apologies, Tamara. I know, I believe I've got it right now, but thank you for your patience as I didn't get it quite so right during our live interview. Tamara's colleague and research partner is Wes Adams. Wes works with high-performing companies on organizational transformation, leadership development, and employee engagement. He helps both experienced and emerging leaders alike to develop the skills and practices that bring out the best from their teams by fostering cultures that enable employees to find meaning and purpose in their work. Wes brings two decades of experience growing successful ventures and consulting for Fortune 500s, startups, and NGOs. Past clients include Microsoft, KPMG, Edelman, Haraz Entertainment, JP Morgan Chase, and the like. His work has been covered by the New York Times, Forbes, Business Insider, Fast Company, among others. Wes is also a master facilitator for the Penn Resilience Program and has been a featured speaker at South by Southwest Interactive and the Nobel Peace Prize Forum. Passionate about social impact, Wes produced a documentary for HBO titled The Out List and a book of interviews about the environmental crisis titled I Am Eco Warrior. A graduate of Vanderbilt University, Wes holds a master's in applied positive psychology, the MAP program from the University of Pennsylvania, near and dear to my heart. West lives in Atlanta. As if their credentials weren't amazing enough, wait until you hear their interview. Let's get to it. Before we get started, I want your time to be valuable here. So in order to get the most from this podcast, head to my website at mentalhealthforleaders.com and download the Guide to Influence and Impact at Work, which has the step-by-step action plan you'll need to embed a focus on mental health into the employee experience of your workplace. It's totally free, and it'll give you the start to your action plan. 
steps to follow to create engagement, to build a budget, and a method to measure the value, influence, and impact that you are going to be making as you lead this transformational change in your organization. We haven't been taught the mental health skills we need to truly lead our organizations into the future. So let this guide and this podcast be the advantage you need to elevate your career, your leadership skills, and the positive impact you'll bring to your organization. Head to mentalhealthforleaders.com and download the free guide to influence and impact at work now. The opportunity is yours and I cannot wait to see what you'll do. All right, now let's get to our guest. Hello, Tamara and Wes. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. Thanks, Lindsay. I am very excited to hear from both of you all about your books and your research and how you are making uh, work meaningful for for all of us. So maybe let's let's just jump right in. Um, let's have you guys share a little bit about who you are and what you do and who you do it for. Great. Well, so Wes and I have been working together for a number of years. We met in graduate school, actually, at the University of Pennsylvania, where we were pursuing a master's degree in applied positive psychology. And we first met during immersion week and figured that we had uh, very different backgrounds, but very similar interests. We were both really interested in studying how leaders make work meaningful. It's a area of research that's missing in the literature. And so we became fast friends through the program and then decided to partner up and do the research for our thesis together. And through that process, we started working together. We've built a business that um, we consult with leaders in organizations on uh, leadership training or, you know, and cultural transformation. Uh, and well, yeah, we just love working together. And I'll let Wes tell you a little more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's It's been such a fun collaboration with Tamara because, as she said, we both really care about helping leaders make work meaningful and we come at things from a bit of a different perspective. So uh, that really adds value, in my opinion, to the work that we do together. Um, yeah, so uh, we work with large clients like Microsoft and KPMG and smaller regional clients as well, basically through a, a process of leadership development and organizational design that focuses on helping individual employees find meaning in their work. As Tamara mentioned, there's a lot of research that shows when people find work meaningful, they're happier, their well-being is higher, their mental health is higher. Um, and also work outcomes are much stronger. They stay longer, they work harder, and they're more creative and, um, you know, exhibit more willingness to step up and do things that they aren't asked to do. So um, it's really a win-win for everyone when people find their work meaningful. And there's a lot of research on how individuals can help themselves find meaning in their work. Uh, but before Tamara and I started working on our research, very little on how leaders can help foster meaning or help people find meaning in their work. Um, and so just as a quick headline, we've been um, researching this for the past two and a half years um, by studying high-performing companies um, and also doing a, a series of interviews and measurements with uh, individual employees. And um, you know, we found that leaders... Um, 
influence about half of our individual experience of meaning at work. So about half of how I feel about how my work is meaningful um, is influenced by the leaders and the managers at my company, which is a huge, huge finding. That's incredibly huge. I mean, anecdotally, I feel like if we all think back on our own professional experience, that, I mean, anecdotally, we that holds true, right? Like intuitively, we I could believe that to be true. If I think about the awesome leaders that I've had in my past or the terrible bosses I've had in my past, it absolutely contributed hugely to my experience. But it's very, very cool to have the research to back that up, um, What to back up what we intuitively know. Very, very cool. Um, I mean, the MAP program is kind of near and dear to my heart. Anybody who has listened to any, either of my podcasts will know how important positive psychology and um, my desire to be a mapster like you fine folks, uh, that will be a thing one day. I will be one of one of you. Um, so I think it's really neat that you've connected on that. Uh, ah, okay, well, tell tell all the people that make the decisions, okay? Please, thank you. <laughs> um, but I love that your that your research comes from that place of of looking for meaning, coming from that place of positivity. Um, and I also love the you are approaching it from what the leaders can do to support the employees. So often we talk about the employees needing to do something themselves to, you know, that it to be an individual endeavor that they are responsible for their own happiness. But truly, we are at work and there's an employer and a leader has to meet us where we're at as well. The mechanisms to support that flourishing has to exist. And I love that you're doing that kind of research. Yeah, you know, you just touched on something that's so important and that we are seeing more and more. We um, were both resilience trainers for the Penn Resilience Program as well. And we do a lot of training um, on resilience. And then through our own company, we do training on multiple um, pillars of well-being. And we're really seeing a lot of conversations right now on you know, yes, individual level interventions are really important. Hep helping people have the tools to combat burnout, to increase their resilience, to increase their sense of engagement. These are really important, but they only go so far, right? So systemic changes are also a really important part of of our well-being, of societal well-being. We, we work in communities, and so we can't just put the sole responsibility of well-being, of meaning on the individual. And so absolutely, it's a yes and for sure. Yeah. And I think just to add to that, I mean, you know, we're getting a lot more data now on the great resignation and, you know, a lot of the mobility that um, has been happening in the last year or two. And we're finding that while we initially thought it was about money and flexibility, actually, a lot of these folks left because of toxic cultures, because they didn't feel valued or appreciated on the job, or they didn't feel like they belonged. Um, and those are some of the big hallmarks of meaning. So, so Tamara and I, as a result of that research um, that we shared also, um, found um, three main sources of meaning. So meaning really, meaningful work really happens at the intersection of contribution, challenge, and community. And those three things all act together. You could think of it as a multiplier effect, right? They sort of um, play on each other 
to create our overall sense of meaning at work, which means that um, it's really powerful when you're tapping all three of those things. And it also means, um, if you remember your your uh, middle school math, that if one of those things is zero, right, if you're missing one of those things, the whole equation zeroes out, right? So even if you have um, you know, a place where you are able to do work that you're really passionate about. If you don't feel a sense of community, if your leader isn't supporting you, it's going to be really hard to find a lot of meaning in that work for any period of time. It's brilliant, actually, because the you yeah it, it if i think about it as a three-legged stool as an example you need all three of those or it all topples over as well i can think about you know a job that i find challenging but if i hit a the proverbial wall at every at every turn you know that's going to get exhausting and it's all it's all of a sudden not going to be worth it anymore so can we talk about the leader's impact on each of those three areas yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what we've been studying for the past two and a half years. And while, you know, while individuals can impact their own sense of contribution, community, and challenge, um, again, we shouldn't put the burden on the individual. And there's only so much individuals can do if their leaders are not supporting. And it's a lot more powerful, actually, when it comes from their manager. And it's, you know, it's the same throughout the organization. So it's not just them feeling that, but them and their colleagues when there's alignment between everyone. Um, and so some of the interventions that we've been doing. I mean, they're they're simple interventions. They don't cost, you know, it's not high cost interventions to implement. They're most of them are behavioral changes and little nudges and things that leaders can do as part of the work that they're already doing and the conversations that they're already having. And so to give you a specific example in the community. Uh, pillar, for example, um, one of the things that we've seen work really, really well to build this sense of community is peer-to-peer -peer recognition. So implementing some kind of peer-to-peer -peer recognition program in an organization um, is really effective to build community. In fact, research, and not our own research, but other research shows that there is a causal relationship um, between peer-to-peer -peer when, you know, between being recognized by your peer and feeling more connected to that peer. So the, the relationship is causal and the increase is up to 55% in the sense of connection. And so um, one of the organizations that we studied, 15.5, has this um, this platform that they call High Fives. And it's their peer-to-peer -peer recognition platform where they acknowledge each other and it's a really active platform. People are always expressing gratitude. But some other interventions that we've tested with leaders can be as simple as, you know, the role modeling of that in front of everybody else, visible role modeling. So starting a meeting by recognizing somebody in the room that that helped their role in that week. So it could be as simple as that. And also they they don't have to be one or the other. The more you do that, the more it becomes a part of the culture, the better. So that's one example of, of an intervention in the community pillar. And there's many others. And, you know, Wes can, can talk about one of the other pillars if you want. Yes, I do. Yeah, absolutely. I, 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can I can totally jump in there. Um, I before I do, I just want to um call back to something that y- you were talking about earlier, which was about the you know like putting the burden on the individual for well being and for finding meaning in work and and that sort of thing. And I think um, it's important to highlight that these these things that we're talking about they're they're not just great for the individuals. It's not just about individual well-being. These are proven strategies for business success, especially in the more complicated, more uncertain world that we live in now. Um, it's very difficult just to give people a task and have them go away and do it and and come back. People need to be really highly engaged. They need to be thinking creatively. And um, these practices prepare businesses for future success in that sort of environment. So um, I think actually the burden is on the manager to do these things if if um, they're hoping to run a successful business going forward. Um, so I'll get off my soapbox now and back to the science. Uh, so, uh, you know, Tamara talked about community and the importance of that. I think um, the idea of contribution is one that will probably sound very familiar. And we really distinguish contribution from necessarily making the world a better place or working at a nonprofit to really understanding how your work matters in whatever context that is, understanding what value you're adding to the organization or to customers or to whoever the beneficiaries of your work are. Um, and um, actually, uh, Tamara has a great example of that from an organization that um, we've worked with. Yeah. So one of the organizations we work with is a startup biotech. And, you know, the, it's a biotech that is working on drugs for uh, an orphan or a rare disease. And when COVID hit, it was hard for everyone, right? And leaders and organizations everywhere were trying to find ways to reinvent work and keep people connected. And one of the um, interventions that we helped them think of and do was uh, beneficiary contact. So they were in clinical trials with a drug for a rare disease, and they brought in a patient from the clinical trial to talk to the whole company via Zoom. So it was a, a virtual beneficiary contact. Um, and it was really touching. Everyone from the C-level executives to the entry-level associates was very touched. Many people were crying to hear the impact that that drug on clinical trial was having on this child. And I mean, the mom was there talking about it and you could see, you know, the numbers and the, you know, in the, the medical data for the kid and how that has been improving. And I mean, that was, I have goosebumps even thinking about how effective that was. And now well, it's like two years later and they're still talking about that and they're still doing, uh, you know, contact with the, the end user and, and so, again, that didn't cost anything. It cost everybody's time, right? If you're calculating as a leader, people's time to attend that meeting. But it wasn't a very hard intervention. It was highly, highly impactful. Well, and when you can see that direct that direct impact that your work is making um, and see the positive influence you're having on other people, connecting your heart and your mind with theirs, absolutely, that would, that would be hugely impactful. 
Yeah, and this, I mean, this is an extreme example because of the the type of work this organization is doing. So we, again, like Wes said, we don't want, you know, your listeners to think, oh my gosh, I, we got to be saving the world in order for people to feel a sense of contribution. Um, like Wes mentioned earlier, these three pillars, they intersect. And so one of the things that even a peer-to-peer recognition does is enable the person being recognized to feel a sense of contribution. You know, if I say, hey, Wes, Thank you so much for taking on um, that article and writing that article. That really helped me this week. I, I was able to take some time to be with my family and attend their year-end festivities, right? And like Wes contributed to, you know what I mean? And so they overlap a lot and it's at that intersection of the three where the power of meaningful work lies. Super Absolutely. powerful. Um. So I was thinking about the uh, like remote workforce, how, you know, and I know that leaders are struggling with connection and community with a more, um, let's call it a hybrid workforce, because I think that's even more challenging than a purely remote workforce. You know, the, the binary one or the other, you can sort of adapt to, but when it's hybrid, I think that's even more complicated. What are you finding in the research or what what interventions can you make recommendations for in those hybrid scenarios to really continue with meaningful work? You've really nailed one of the big issues that we're working with clients on right now, which is how do you do this in an environment where everyone is in different places or some people are together and some people are in different places or you're managing someone who you've never met because they started in the last year and you've only ever interacted with them over Zoom. These are these are real challenges. And I think, um, you know, as everyone knows, you know, we lose a lot of communication when we're not face-to-face. Verbal communication tends to go down, and also you lose a lot of the nonverbal communication that signals um, how we, what we're thinking, how we're feeling, and um, can help develop closer relationships. And so one of the things that we advise leaders to do is to over-communicate in this situation. And so as Tamara, the example Tamara just gave is actually a a great um, example of, of this. So Um, you know, you can't all get together in person and, you know, meet this person who's the beneficiary of your work. So a Zoom conversation to make sure that you're telling that story, even to the accountant who's based in Iowa, who's never actually met anyone else on the team and who's never been in touch with a patient or one of the beneficiaries of the work. So um, making sure that you're continuing to do that, recording those things, creating a video library of those things can also be very effective. And that's actually a way that you could better capture those stories without having people, you know, needing to repeat them face-to-face or meeting people in person. So I think there are some advantages to the hybrid environment because we can capture and share some of this information um, in a way that we couldn't at scale in person. So, um, you know, it's a lot to think about and everyone's still learning how this is going to go and what models are working. And um, a lot of people are struggling with it right now. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's to add to what Wes said, I think, you know, part of it's it's part of the struggle in in the hybrid design and part of what we're working on is is fostering community and research really shows that connection belonging can happen through virtual 
conversations, you know, and as leaders are like through virtual connections, we can still feel connected in a sense of belonging when when we're exclusively communicating. This research happened like during COVID and people still felt a sense of connectedness. Um, and I think that, you know, when leaders lead with that intention front of mind and are really intentional about inclusion, it creates belonging. You know, one of the things I tell my kids, so I have three teenagers and, you know, there's always drama, middle school drama, high school drama, and somebody always feels excluded, right? And I I always tell them what I tell my clients is inclusion has to be intentional. I know that sometimes you, you excluded someone unintentionally, like, well, you didn't mean to, but it has to be on purpose. You have to intentionally be in really intentional about inclusion because inclusion are our actions and belonging is how we feel. So when we are intentional about inclusion, then people will, will feel a sense of belonging. And very quickly, I will give you a preview of the framework for creating a sense of community and belonging that we are writing about in our upcoming book, but we're calling it the four A's of belonging. So there's basically four areas where leaders can intervene to create the sense of community at work. And the first one is alignment. That one is when we feel that we have a shared vision and goals, and that goes back to having a shared purpose and values, norms that we all buy into. So alignment, Um, The second one is appreciation. We talked about recognition um, a little while ago, but that's like being appreciated for who you are, you know, and what you contribute, not just outcomes, but also what you bring to the table, your strengths, feeling seen and valued. Um, The other one is authenticity. We saw this again and again in our research that when people are able to fully show up at work as their whole selves in whatever way that they feel that they they can feel, they should feel comfortable. They're not expected to bring parts that they don't want to bring, but allowed to bring whatever parts they want to bring. And when they can can come and fully show up as a whole person, that really, really increases their sense of belonging. And finally, the last A is amity, which is friendship, is the sense of, I have friends at work. And having a friend at work Really, so when people answer the question, I have a friend at work or I don't have a friend at work, it really predicts their um, how long they're going to stay with the company. If they don't have friends at work, they're much more likely to leave. And so those are the four A's that leaders can think about as they're designing belonging and community in their organization. Oh, I love that. I can't wait to re- read your new book. Um, <clears throat> and I love, I mean, the 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 first three that you talked about, you know, we hear those ones quite a bit. We um, you know, they they feel they feel quite yes, of course, we need those things. They they feel like they would really make a huge impact. But I especially love the last one about having a friend at work. I don't think we talk about that often enough. Um, you know, it, it it's hard to make friends as adults. And when, you know, work is the place that we hang out the most, when we don't have friends at work, it has a hugely detrimental effect on us. Um, If we don't have a friend at work, how do we go about making friends? I mean, can we just say, hi, I'm Lindsay. Can we please be friends? Maybe, I don't know, but maybe you have some different ideas. (laughs) 
Well, actually, that's an area that two of our friends and colleagues from MAP studied and did their research on adult friendship, because exactly what you said, it's not an area that's really studied. Like, there's no guidebook of of how to make friends. Um, And one of the things that they found is shared experiences. So when you have a shared experience with someone, it opens the door to to friendship. Um, And so what we found in our research, so they found that in their research and what we found in our research when we were researching what leaders do is creating these opportunities for people to have these shared experiences. Um, What a lot of what they, the organizations that we study do is um, volunteer opportunities um, for, you know, for people to volunteer together. So they increases their, their contribution, their sense of contribution. It also increases their sense of community. Wes, I, I saw that you were going to jump in and I'm sorry I, I interrupted you. What else were you going to say? No worries. Um, I was going to say, uh, well, actually, I think you, I think you covered it. I mean, I think that research is um, really interesting and it starts with just asking people how's it going outside of work? You know, asking people some personal questions. When we're in a virtual environment, we tend to be much more transactional about our interactions with people. We're sending emails back and forth. We're slacking messages. And we don't actually, you you have to intentionally build in the time that was happening before meetings or after meetings or at the proverbial water cooler, just from being in the same space and hearing what other people are doing. Uh, you really have to design around that. So sort of back to what Tamara said earlier, which I love, which is um, inclusion is intentional. You, know, you have to design for it. Mm-hmm. Intention uh, is should, a word we oh, use a lot. Sorry, Wes. Um, we use that's one of our favorite words on this show because I think everything that we do should be intentional and practiced until we can do it subconsciously in a right in the right way. <clears throat> Please continue, Wes. I sorry to interrupt. Oh, well, I was going to circle back to challenge because we didn't cover that third source of meaning that's so important, and I want to make sure. That we do, because this is actually one that Tamara and I are very passionate about and something that came up again and again in our research um, and is actually very strongly uh, empirically correlated with all of these outcomes that we're talking about. And that's the idea of a manager challenging people on their team. Uh, so really having those intentional development conversations Uh, We like to call them possibility conversations where you sit down as a manager or you're on Zoom and you say, here are all of the great things. Here are the strengths that I see in you. Here are the opportunities that I see for you at this company. Let's have a discussion about how you'd like to grow, where you'd like to go and what that looks like. And then over the next period of time, providing the support and the encouragement and also the push required to get people to the next level. And actually that push showed up a lot where um, managers were pushing people outside of their comfort zone and creating the necessary friction for people to have to grow and develop. And something to add to what Wes said that's really important in that push is the support. So we developed this matrix. Um, uh, bet- so in, on the x-axis is uh, is challenge 
um, and, you know, and boredom or no challenge at all. And then on the other axis, the y-axis is uh, full support and then and no support at all. And where you have high challenge and high support is what we call the zone of possibility. And that's where you want to. You don't want to throw people <laughs> into something that's really difficult without offering them adequate support because that creates high anxiety and diminishes performance. But if you have both high challenge and high support, people thrive and they derive a huge sense of meaning. Um, and But something that was said that's really an important part of this possibility, conversation is, is the strength spotting and the potential that you see in them because not a lot of those conversations are happening. Gallup released a study in 2019, and this was before the Great Resignation, um, and they were looking at turnover. And one of the things that they found is that over half of the people that had left their job in the last uh, year reported that in the in the three months prior to leaving, no one had had a conversation with them about the fu their future in the organization, about wh where people saw them growing, about you know, where they could go in their career, what their strengths are, and what potential could be developed. And in contrast to that, what we saw in our research is that these, these you know, organizations that are excelling at this are seeing potential in people, even during the hiring process. And they're hiring people for positions that don't even exist yet, but they're creating positions based on the potential that they see in people, which then we we coin this in our book, we're writing about the acorn principle, you know, and if you think about an acorn, an acorn is beautiful and whole as an acorn, but it holds the potential to become an oak tree, right? And and as a sapling, it's it's a beautiful and whole and a perfect sapling, but it still holds that potential to become an oak tree. And with the right nurturing, right, it will become that oak tree and it wants to become that oak tree. And we humans are just like that acorn. We all want to become the oak tree and we want somebody to see that potential in us that we may not even see yet and help nurture that and help us become our oak trees. Mm, so beautiful. So, so beautiful. Can you tell us a little bit more about your current book and also the book that you're writing and where we can read those things? It's coming soon. We don't have a publication date yet, so we don't have um, too many details to share, but we will once we have. We're currently in the writing process um, in the manuscript stage. And so um, we're hoping 2023 and, you know, if you guys, listeners, follow us on LinkedIn, the minute we have a date, we will definitely be posting Amazing. We will absolutely link to your LinkedIn in the show notes so that they can easily, easily follow along. This has been such an incredible conversation. You, Your wisdom, your practical um, solutions, the interventions that you talked about, and even a lot of the analogies has really, has really got me thinking um, and will leave me with some really great things to think about. So thank you so much for bringing your wisdom to the show today. Thanks, Lindsay. It's been our pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. And uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing in touch. Yes, absolutely. I'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks for joining me for another awesome episode of the Mental Health for Leaders podcast. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, please go to mentalhealthforleaders.com and subscribe to have these episodes delivered right to your inbox each week. You'll also find all the show notes, links, and resources that my guests mentioned on the show 
and the link to the Guide to Influence and Impact at Work freebie I mentioned at the beginning of this episode. You're listening to this podcast because you know our people need us more than ever. But being a people leader and an HR professional is especially hard right now. If the thought of figuring out how to best support your people and yourself feels overwhelming and impossibly hard, let's talk. I don't promise I can make it easy, but I can make it simple. So let's do that together. Go to mentalhealthforleaders.com and download the guide to influence and impact at work now. Until next time, take good care. And as always, call me if you need me.